0: Lord, I pray that tonight, as we've chosen to be here, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. I I see your heart um, just proclaimed here in this book in such a wonderful way. So I pray that as we go through this, that, uh, Lord, that you would really um, open up our hearts to understand more of your love and your faithfulness. And I thank you that we can be here to study uh, these words written 2,700 years ago, that were written for us, that we can take heed, that we know it's relevant for us. We know that these weren't just words spoken to a nation that was in rebellion, but it it speaks to our culture. It speaks to our lives. It even speaks to our church. So, Lord, help us to be teachable right now. I know that we can be tired. We can be uh, sluggish and sleepy, perhaps help us to just be awake, um, uh, open our ears to to hear from you and and uh, help us to be teachable to receive from you. And it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. So as we move into chapter 48, of course, we're in this section of Isaiah that the Lord is calling his people To himself. And of course, the Assyrians, as we saw uh, in the first part of Isaiah, they were, um, as the house of Israel was still existing, they were the world power that had come in, in in 722 BC and taken the 10 northern tribes off into captivity. And isaiah he comes on the scene he's warning not only judah but the house of israel about their idol worship and their sin and they go off into captivity and then isaiah is speaking to judah because at this time as we saw of course in chapters 36 and 37 um, we saw that the assyrians surrounded jerusalem and as they surrounded Jerusalem, God would defeat the Assyrians, sending an angel that killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. So Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, goes back to, um, uh, to, um, to the capital of Assyria. He goes into the temple of his pagan God and there he is killed. And so the Assyrians are on the decline as far as power and Babylon at this time that here is Isaiah writing this about 700 BC. They're uh, less than 100 years from rising to being a world power. And the Lord's coming along and speaking to Judah saying... Turn away from the idols that you are worshiping. Turn to me. He is declaring that he is God and there is none other. That he's the creator, not the created. And the foolishness of them trusting in those idols because those idols cannot see. They cannot hear. They cannot help you. They are worthless. And so turn to me. I who have redeemed you and brought you out of Egypt and I have blessed you. You belong to me. I have called you my own. And you are chosen of me. You are my elect. And I love you. And as he speaks about that judgment is going to come to them as they would go off into captivity uh, just less than 100 years from this time, there's that plead from the Lord to turn and trust in him, that he is the Lord. And the Lord says, I am not going to share my glory with any of those idols. And I'm the one that can declare the end from the beginning. I can declare things that have not happened. Those idols cannot do that. So this call that we're going to continue to see of the Lord bringing his people, uh, calling them to come back to him, and we see the heart of the Lord, because even though he speaks that you're going to go off into captivity, there's going to be uh, Jerusalem, the land's going to be laid waste. Actually, when you get to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, as he comes on the scene after Isaiah, he begins to speak to the leaders about how there's going to be great devastation and destruction if you just listen to the Lord but they wouldn't and that's exactly what happened when Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon would come in in three different waves and take Judah off into captivity and then the third and final time that he came into Israel into Judah he came to Jerusalem and destroyed the city and there was great devastation destruction and death. So they didn't take heed to the Lord. And the Lord, uh, as I read this, I see that even though he talks about that they're going to go through refining, even as we go through this chapter here, that he doesn't leave them without any hope and that's what i i pray that we see that the lord is he gives us warnings and that he, as he comes along and and declares that there's going to be consequences if you and i are in rebellion he doesn't leave us without any hope he doesn't leave us with with uh, us thinking that he has Forsaken us, or is given up on us? But here he's saying that I am still calling you my own. I I still love you. I'm still going to do a work amongst you. So let's begin to look at chapter 48 of Isaiah that we read here. This O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and have come forth from the well springs of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. So here they are, this house of Jacob. Jacob, of course, as you study the book of Genesis, he was the patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob, oftentimes used in Isaiah as a name for God's people, and then he goes and he says that you're called by my name of Israel. Now, as most of you know, that as you go to the story of Jacob, who uh, was the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the covenant going through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob, as he, in chapter 32 of Genesis, finds himself at the brook, and there that the Lord would say to Jacob, "Now you're going to be called Israel, which means governed by God." So here was, you know, Judah, God's people. They uh, had the name of Israel, but not the character of Israel. They weren't being governed by the Lord. Uh, they were ones that were looking to other idols. Uh, they were ones that uh, were not trusting in the Lord or uh, desiring to turn back to the Lord. And they were ones that they would say were Israel, but it it didn't really mean anything to them. They weren't walking in truth, in other words. You know, we can call ourselves Christians. It's amazing today how that term gets thrown around. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, what makes you a Christian? Well, I, I, you know, go to a church church. Or I belong to a church. Or my parents were Christians, so I'm a Christian. And it used to be, you don't hear it as much, but I remember uh, even 20 years ago when I was in ministry that there's people that told me that, well, I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. So we know that that doesn't make us a Christian, A Christian is one who's been born again by the Spirit of God, who's trusting the Lord, who's put their faith and trust in the Lord. And we can, you know, say that we are Christians, but the Lord clearly sees our hearts just as he saw their hearts. We can go to church, but are we walking with the Lord? Do we believe his word? And here we read in verse 1 that he says that you make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. Keep in mind that they had a form of religiousness that was going on. Particularly in the beginning of Isaiah, they were doing sacrifices, they were observing the feast, they observed the Sabbath, but they had mixed in all this paganism with their worship and that which was false. And uh, they had turned more and more to those idols and were forsaking the, the God of Israel, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the one and true God, as he declares here. So there was a form of religiousness, but it wasn't being done as they were calling on God or saying that we're Israel or worshiping God. And and here, as you recall, in the early part of Isaiah, he says, I'm weary of you, of your prayers. I'm weary of your sacrifices, your feasts that you are, are, you know, observing because you're not doing it in truth and you're not doing it in righteousness, Because he has addressed the problems here that were going on. Uh, There was violence in the land. There was drunkenness that was going on. There was all kinds of, of immorality taking place. And he says that you can call on me, but you're not calling on me in truth and in righteousness. Now, that does remind me of what we have been talking about going through 1 John. That 1 John is setting the record straight that we who are born again by the Spirit of God, as we come in faith to Jesus Christ, that he abides in us. And as he abides in us, then we're going to take on certain characteristics as Christians, aren't we? Aren't we? We're going to have a desire to walk in obedience. And then as his love is put into us, as we'll continue to talk about on Sunday, then that love, that agape love that is in us as we're dwelling in in, um, or walking with him, Christ dwelling in our hearts then that love is going to be extended to others as well. So there's certain characteristics that you and I have as Christians, and that is that we're looking to the Lord. It means that we're trusting him, believing in his word. And there are many today, more and more, unfortunately, that say, well, I'm a Christian, and even churches, but they don't believe the word of God. And there's a lot of, of falseness and, and weirdness that is taking place in the church. They don't believe uh, that Jesus is the way to heaven and the Savior of the world and all these things. And you know it to be true. And accepting that which is false and evil, calling evil good, and, and, and then you know, forsaking the scriptures much of it. So we see that happening today, and that's what was happening back in Isaiah's day. So that's what makes this book so relevant for you and for me. And then when verse three, as we continue, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them. They came to pass because I knew that you were obstinate, that your neck was an iron sinew, that your brow bronze. Even from the beginning, verse five, I've declared it to you before it came to pass. I proclaimed it to you lest you should say my idols have done them and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. So reiterating that our God can speak of things that to come and they will come to pass. I hope that excites you. It excites me. Because if we go through the book of Isaiah, there was near fulfillments that that we're going to continue to see that would come to pass, exactly as was proclaimed by the Lord in the book of Isaiah and, and, of course, the other prophets that came on the scene. But that excites me because I know that those prophecies that are yet future are going to come to pass as well. Every dot and tittle. It's going to come to pass exactly as the Lord has claimed that it's going to. And we know that today as we are living, we're living in the last days. And we're seeing these events take place that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and we live in an exciting time. It's a difficult time, but an exciting time. But as we continue in, in verse 6, you have heard, see all this. And will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things. You did not know them. They are created now, not from the beginning. And before this day, you have not heard them. Lest you should say, of course I knew them. Surely you did not hear, and surely you did not know. And surely from long ago, your ear was not open. For I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb. So they had seen all the great power and showed... Uh, God did Himself to them, but they were in rebellion against Him. And we think of all the miracles that the Lord did in the Old Testament, and we think, how could they miss it? I think about the children of Israel coming to the mountain of God there at Mount Sinai and and the mountain shook and there was lightnings and thunders and I think it was divine lightnings and thunders and and smoke came like a furnace and the people trembled, just the awesomeness of the the sight of God's power uh, up there on the mountain and the mountain was like on fire. And they said, Moses, you go up on the mountain. We can't handle this. It was after that he had opened the Red Sea and they they crossed the Red Sea and he drowned the Egyptian army. And, And that was after he had called down the plagues upon Egypt so they can come out of Egypt and to the mountain of God. And you think that if I would have seen all of that, boy, you know, God would be so real in my life. But here is the Lord doing all of that. And Moses goes up on the mountain, as we see, after he, he begins to, you know, the mountain shook, and they come to the mountain of God, and it's, there's, it's smoke like a furnace and all of this. They trembled. It was so awesome. And they said, Moses, you go up, and we'll do what you, you tell us to do. And 40 days later, they're fashioning a golden calf and they're dancing nakedly around that golden calf, committing all kinds of immorality, fornication, adultery, idolatry. And I think the fickleness of people and, and, and how quickly we f- can forget the works of the Lord in our lives. And for you and for me, maybe we don't see and we don't, the Red Sea opening, plagues come down, the mountains shake and all of this. But we've seen the power of God, the greatest power, change our lives, haven't we? That we're a new creature in Christ. We're born again. And I think about how I was before I came to Christ. And and a definite new heart that I got when I came to Christ. And he's still growing me. He's still molding me. He, he's still perfecting me, maturing me in, in, in every way. But I think of the power of God, what he has done with you and with me. The, the great testimony of God is seen in you. As you are a light to others and as you are loving others. So they had seen all the great power and glory of God, but they were rebelling against him and how we can easily begin to turn away from him and begin to follow after other things and get weighed down with the cares of the world and pursue worldliness if we're not careful and keeping our eyes on him and staying close to him. But as we read in verse nine, for my namesake, I will defer my anger and for my praise, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. And for my own sake, I will do it for how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. So we see here that the Lord is saying once again, I'm not going to give my glory to another. That's something that I need to remember and something that you need to remember. You know, one of the great things that that. Pastor Chuck used to teach us pastors when we went to a pastor's conference is you don't touch the money and you don't touch the glory. And of course, you know, you don't touch the girls. So he warned us, stay away from those things that can really cause you to lose your ministry. And the Lord says, I will not share my glory with another. And I know for me that that's a call for me to be humble before him. And that anything that is done through me and in my ministry, it's only because God has worked that in me and through me. And he's the one that gets the glory. And we need to be careful as a church. As God is is growing us and as God is working awesome things in this church, it's such a delight to see that, that we want to make sure that we don't take the glory away from him. That everything that has taken place here that is of God and loving people and People getting saved and, and marriages being healed. I, I wish sometime that I could tell you all the wonderful things that, I hear that are taking place. And, and I don't know everything because you're out ministering. You're out uh, reaching out to others in, in such a wonderful way. And God is blessing, but he gets the glory, right? Not Calvary Chapel, not Pastor Jeff. Not how many ministries we have going on or how many on staff. He gets the glory, and we need to always remember that, and we need to thank him for what he is doing because I really believe that he wants to do so much more. So here is the Lord, for my namesake, I'll defer my anger. But then he goes on. He says, I'm not going to cut you off completely. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And so one of the things that we see that the Lord is saying to Judah is that you're going to go in the furnace of affliction. You're going to go off into captivity. And in that captivity, that you're going to go through refining process. In other words, as they were worshiping those Babylonian gods and Canaanite gods, that they would be taken captive by Babylon who were idol worshipers. And in those 70 years of captivity, the Lord would refine them to when they would come back and they would give up those idols once again. Oh, well, they still had problems, as, as you read about that in the Old Testament. But he's refining them. He didn't delight in bringing judgment to them, but he knew that, that I am going to do refining work in you as you're going off into captivity because you refuse to turn to me. You know, sometimes we go through affliction in our life because of our rebellion, don't we? Sometimes we're going in the wrong direction or or we're pursuing things that are carnal or sinful, and, and we experience consequences and repercussions because of that. The Lord doesn't give up on us. But we know that affliction can come to us. The Lord can chasten us. And listen, he chastens us, as we saw in Hebrews, that he does it because he loves us. And he's desiring for us to have those worldly things purged out of our lives. So we can go through affliction because of rebellion or self-reliance. You see, that's what happened with Jacob. At the brook Jabbok, <clears throat> he can't go forward because here comes Esau, Adam, his brother, that he always tricked and deceived and, and 20 years previous was mad at him because he had tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing, thinking that, that he was Esau rather than Esau receiving it. That was Jacob. Jacob was just a conniver. He was self reliant, always figuring something out, always coming up with a plan. And all of a sudden, he's there, coming back to Canaan, uh, coming back to home. Uh, he can't go forward because he gets word your brother's coming at you with 400 men. And you see, the last time that he had heard from Jacob, Jacob's, or from Esau, Esau said, Jacob, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob is afraid that here comes my brother Esau, who's angry at me, wanted to kill me. I can't go backwards because my uncle Laban said that if you come back, I'll kill you. So he feels stuck there. There's nothing that he can do. And all of a sudden, the Lord sneaks up on him, and he wrestles with the Lord all night long, and he touches the hip of his socket, and it comes out of joint, and the Lord says, what is your name? He knew what his name was, Jacob, heel snatcher, deceiver. I'm the one that, you know, is very capable, always coming up with the plan and and very smart. And together, it seems like, my name is Jacob. The Lord said, no, now your name is going to be Israel governed by God. And as Jacob would cling to the Lord, Hosea says that he clung to the Lord uh, with tears as he's saying, I'm not going to let you go. I think that Jacob, that he was saying, Lord, I'm tired of being self-reliant and always trying to do things in my own energy and my own strength. And you see, sometimes the affliction comes in our rebellion, but sometimes it comes when we are so self-reliant and we're not looking to the Lord, and here's Jacob at a place where he can't go forward, he can't go backwards. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring some pain into your life. I'm going to touch your hip. And it says that Jacob had to lean on a cane. His walk was never the same. And in that time of brokenness for Jacob, Jacob, he was called Israel, and he learned to be called Israel, which means governed by God. You know, sometimes in our own self-reliance and our abilities, and the Lord wants us to turn to him and trust in him in every area of our lives. And we can hold certain things back. And I'll speak for myself. I know that if I can come up with the plan in certain situations, if I can make it happen, if I can, you know, wiggle out and, and get out of this situation, I will do it without seeking the Lord. And it's in those times that the Lord will allow me to go through some affliction so I can learn to trust in him and really be one that is governed by him. But you see, not all affliction that we go through is because of rebellion or self-reliance. Sometimes we go through affliction because he just allows it, and I don't know why. I think some of the most difficult trials that I've gone through in ministry, I don't know why the Lord allowed those trials to come into my life, but I do know this, and I've learned this, that even though I may not know why they come into my life, I know that he wants to do a refining work in me. And in some of those trials that I have gone through, that I've looked back and and I thought, Lord, I don't know why you allowed this. You see, I don't know about you. I'll speak for me. I don't like going through affliction. I don't like going through trials. You know, I, I like a quiet life. I like it when things are going well, but that doesn't always happen, does it? And there are afflictions that can happen that just don't happen for a day or a week, but they last for weeks and months and sometimes even years. And I think, why, Lord? But I do know this. Somehow, way, the Lord is doing refining work in me. That he has eternity's perspective that is in view. And as I allow him to do that work, that refining process takes place. And you see, what can happen is when we go through affliction or we go through, you know, brokenness or we go through trials or whatever, there can be a tendency to fall away from the Lord and withdraw from him. And it is a time that we are to draw close to him and call upon him and then wait on him. And that can be a very difficult process. Though you wait on the Lord and, Lord, when is this going to be over? But I do know this that he's with us and he loves us and he loves you. And he's going to see us through, and somehow he's doing a refining process. And some of those afflictions that I've gone through, I've looked back and I thought, Lord, you did do a work because. You've made me a stronger Christian. You, you've, you've helped me to be more sympathetic, a better pastor. There are some lessons in that that I, I needed to learn. Uh, I've become less prideful, perhaps, in this area. And I can look back and be thankful for those things. So here, Judah, you're going to go through affliction. You're going to go through the furnace, but I'm doing a work, and, and, and I know that I'm not going to cut you off completely. He is going to bring them back. As we continue in verse 12, Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. And when I call to them, they stand up together. Just the power of God. But notice here in verse 12 that I, I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. That probably rings a bell with a lot of you, doesn't it? When we go through the book of Revelation, even the last some of the last words of Jesus... As he says, Behold, I am coming in Revelation chapter 22 quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So if anybody comes along and says, well, Jesus wasn't God, you can take him here to Isaiah chapter 48 and you can say, doesn't the Lord said, I am he, I'm the first, I am also the last. Is that talking about God? Yes, Then take him to Revelation chapter 22, where Jesus says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, beginning and end, and I am the first and the last. So Jesus is claiming to be God, and he is God. And there's many other verses that we can turn people to uh, that show the deity and the divinity of Jesus Christ. But this is one that you might want to (laughs) underline. So here he would be merciful to them, even though they didn't deserve it. And uh, he shows his power to them. And then as we continue in verse 14, all of you assemble yourselves and hear who among them have declared these things. The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. That word Chaldeans, just another name for Babylon. And I even I have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him and his way will prosper So God's going to use Cyrus to defeat the Babylonians. And we've seen that. That's been mentioned. And I'm going to send Cyrus. But also, verse 16, come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Now, there are some Bible teachers that say this continues to speak of Cyrus, But I believe it speaks of one who's going to come. Cyrus is going to be used, God's instrument, to bring uh, Judah back to Jerusalem. Of course, in 536 B.C., after 70 years of captivity, Cyrus, who would defeat the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians, or, you know, the world power. He makes a decree that they can come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But here, the Lord is saying in verse 16 that, <clears throat> excuse me, come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From that time it was, I was there. Now the Lord God and the, His spirit have sent me, and of course I believe is speaking of Jesus. I'm going to send another. He's going to be the true redeemer. And he's going to come, and what we're going to see, particularly as we get into chapters 49 through 53, that is going to be speaking of Jesus here, that he's going to be sent to the uh, ministry of Jesus from his birth to his crucifixion. But we see the Trinity here in verse 16, that the Lord God, the Father... And his spirit, the Holy Spirit, have set me, speaking of Jesus. In verse 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you, the prophet, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand. And the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. And his name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. The blessing and the benefit of obeying God's commands (coughs) and walking with him. And again, that's what we're going to see on Sunday. That we're going to see that every commandment of the Lord is an expression of his love for you and for me. And I hope that you can make it for that study because... Great is the day when we really make that our own. When we really understand that God is not a killjoy. He's not, you know, trying to make our lives boring and restrictive and limited. That when he gives us his command, his precepts, his truth given to us, how it is that we are to live is an expression of his love for you, for me. Because he loves us so much, that he says, this is how you can experience that life abundantly. This is how you can have a blessed and benefited life. It doesn't mean that every day is going to be rainbows and lollipops, right? But we are going to live and experience the Lord in a very real way, and we're going to experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. We're going to be free, not in bondage. We get to walk in godly wisdom, not in worldly wisdom. And we have his peace. Here he says, peace that flows like a river. Listen, those who do not have Jesus Christ, they don't have true lasting peace in their hearts. And we see that in our culture today, we we read about, there's a lot of articles coming out lately, how more people are discouraged and defeated and depressed than ever before, feeling hopeless. And you and I, we have Jesus and as parents to our children, we tell them how they should live, right? Why do we do that? Because we want their lives to be miserable? <clears throat> do we do it because we want them to have boring lives or limited life or restrictive life? No. We want what's very best for them. We want them to, to be healthy. We want them to do well. Well, spiritually, spiritually. A loving father says, this is how I want you to live. So every commandment that I give to you is an expression of my love. Does that make sense? So please, especially young people, they think, oh, God's a killjoy, you know, and this Jesus stuff, and I want to be free to pursue the world and do my own thing. The only true people that are free, truly free, are those who are living for him. And it's living for him and walking with him that you're going to, again, be free. You're going to have great joy. You're going to have peace. You're going to have wisdom. Sometimes people say it's hard being a Christian, and I understand when they say that because people come against us and relationships are strained and severed. But I'll tell you what's hard is not being a Christian because you don't have God's wisdom. You don't have his strength. You don't have his comfort, his word. So when we really understand that his precepts and commandments and truths given to us is because he loves us and he wants the very best for us to really make our lives count in eternity's perspective. So here he, he's saying that then your peace would have been like a river if you would have just heeded my commandments here in verse 18. But then we go on as, as we read in verse 19 again, your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would have not been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. Verse 20, with the voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob and they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock from them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. He provided for them when they came out of Egypt, water. And, and it came from the rock, it flowed out, and, and they didn't thirst. And of course, the Lord has living water to give to you and to me. So the question tonight is, are you thirsty in your heart and in your soul? And if you are, go to the source of the living water, Jesus. And if you thirst, he would cry out in John chapter 7 there in Jerusalem, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. He would say to the Samaritan woman the same thing. You drink of that well, the well of the world, then you're going to thirst over and over again. But if you drink of the living waters I have to give to you, you're not going to thirst again. So we go to him, the source of living water. And there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. I have that underlined. He wants to give us peace that flows like a river, Right. But there's no peace to those who, you know, continue in sin, in carnality, and wickedness. Chapter 49, listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, and from the matrix of my mother, and has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. So speaking of Messiah, matter of fact, as I've already mentioned, from chapters 49 to 53, is going to speak a lot about uh, Jesus from his birth to his crucifixion, describing in chapter 53, as many of you know that chapter, the suffering Messiah. But here, as it talks about coming forth, uh, the matrix of my mother, um, as the Lord has called me from the womb, being born, of course, uh, uh, of a virgin from Mary. And then verse 2, it's made my mouth like a sharp sword that may ring a bell with you. A reference, again, to the book of Revelation. When John was exiled to the island of Patmos, he had uh, the vision of Jesus in chapter 1 of the 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 resurrected Jesus, the glorious Jesus, and it describes him, and it says that his mouth was like a two-edged sword that came forth from his mouth. Of course, speaking of the word of God, that's like a two-edged sword, Hebrews chapter 4. And then in Revelation chapter 19, when he comes back, it it talks about how a sharp sword is going to come from his mouth, speaking of when he simply speaks and judges those nations. You see, when we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to see that what is described to us is the nations of the world are going to gather in northern Israel in what is called the, the Battle of Armageddon in the Valley of Megiddo. And then Jesus Christ, in the middle of that battle, is going to come back, and we're going to come back with him, and they will stop fighting each other, and they will turn to fight Jesus. And he will simply speak, and it'll be like a two edged sword coming forth from his mouth to judge those nations. And is at that time he'll judge the nations, as we know. He'll restore the nation of Israel, and then he'll establish his kingdom when he comes back. So here is speaking of, here he is. He's made my mouth like a sharp sword. But let's continue in verse 3 And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Verse six, indeed he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob? And to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So still speaking of Messiah, how the Lord speaks of, of, of being Israel. He came from Israel. He fulfills what Israel means governed by God. I do nothing apart from my father. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I've called my son. And we think of the Exodus, but it's actually speaking of what Matthew 2 tells us, the time that Jesus and Joseph and Mary, would they would flee to Egypt and then they would come back, taken out of Egypt because of the threat of Herod the Great and then brought back. But verse 4 here, that we see that the nation rejected you know, the Messiah coming. And even though he did the work of the Father, he trusted in the Father. And the day is going to come when they are going to recognize that truly that he is Mashiach, even as we will see in Romans chapter 11, that when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then all of Israel will be saved. Blindness has come in part to Israel. So we know that Jesus is saying that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So speaking of this, but you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. In other words, the coming of Messiah, salvation would come to the Gentile nations. And when you read the book of Acts, you see that the early church struggled with that. You mean this, this thing called the, you know, church Christians, uh, salvation is going to be extended to the Gentiles? Yes. And so that was something that we see that they really had to wrestle with. And Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles, but they weren't. They rejected the Messiah. They turned inwardly, but yet we know that the gospel would go out uh, to uh, Judea and uh, to Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. And they should have known that salvation was going to come to them. In verse 7. Thus says the Lord the Redeemer of Israel. Their Holy One to him who man despises. To him who the nation abhors. To the servant uh, of rulers. Kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship. Because of the Lord who is faithful. And the Holy One of Israel. And he has chosen you. So people today, just like back then, despise the work of Messiah and reject him. But in the kingdom age, that we know that righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea, and and, and that he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. In verse 8, thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people To restore the earth. To cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. That you may say to the prisoners. Go forth. Verse 9. To those who are in darkness. Show yourselves. And they shall feed along the roads. And their pastures shall be in all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst. Neither heat nor sun shall strike them. And, And we know as we continue in verse 10. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water he will guide them. And I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highway shall be elevated. Surely these shall come afar. Look, those from the north and the west and from the land of Sinem. Sinem, they're not sure where that is. Some have suggested it speaks of of China. So the glory of Messiah spoken of here when he comes the, the ministry of Messiah uh, the light's going to shine uh, there's going to be roads that will lead you and guide you you'll neither hunger or thirst it's going to be a wonderful time. And then Isaiah brings, uh, breaks out and prays in verse 13. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth. Break out and sing in O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. So tonight, if you feel like you're going through a time of being afflicted, he has mercy for you and he has comfort to bring to you because he loves you and you belong to him. And then as we continue, we'll try to finish before I lose my voice here. And Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. So, so here, the, the, the Lord, uh, he promises to bring comfort and show mercy. And how do they respond? They respond by saying, the Lord has forgotten and forsaken me. And maybe, maybe you felt like that at times in your own life. And I know that I've I wondered, Lord, are you still with me? Do you hear me? Do you, do you care what it is that I'm going through? And then he says something very wonderful here in verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? It doesn't happen often, but once in a while we do hear of it that it happens, don't we? But yet he goes on and he says that surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I love these verses because it reminds me, even when I'm going through the trials of life and the difficulties, that the Lord has not forgotten me. That I'm inscribed on the palm of his hand. Being inscribed means that's permanent. And the walls surround me. That means the enemy is not going to defeat me. And there are times where I thought, man, the enemy is going to just run me over and stomp on me. And that's going to be the end of it. But he says, I'm going to be a wall. It's going to be around you. The enemy won't destroy you. You're inscribed on the palm of my hands. That's permanent. And then I know that Jesus proved it because there are those nail marks that are in his hands. proving His love for you and for me, right? Even as we've been discussing on Sunday morning. That he went to the cross, and as Romans 5 says, that he proved his love for us, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, he hasn't forsaken you, and he has not forgotten about you. And you may not understand everything that's going on in your life, but he is one that says, you're inscribed on the palm of my hand, and I love you, and you're there. And I'm going to see you through. Somehow, some way. he will show himself strong on your behalf. But as we continue in um, reading this, in verse 17, your son shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Lift up your eyes, look around and see all these gathered together and come to you as I live, says the Lord. And you shall surely clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. So talking about restoring his people and for your waste and desolate places and for the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants and those who swallow you up will be far away. The children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, the place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. And then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and wandering to and fro. And who has brought these up? And there I was left alone and these. Were were, were they, as we see that God uh, is going to bring blessing to them and it's going to be hard for them to believe it. You know, we don't have enough room and how can this be? And, and, and so speaking about when Israel is restored, that as all the Jews are gathered in, this place is too small for us. Give us a place may we, we may dwell. No longer the waste and desolate places in a land being destroyed. Now we know that Abraham, When God made that promise, that covenant with Abraham, he said, Abraham, as far as the land is from the Euphrates River, (coughs) excuse me, all the way through the Fertile Crescent into the Nile River, I'm going to give to you. Israel has never claimed that land, has never expanded and, and taken that land that was promised to them. So I have a feeling that in the millennium reign that the borders of Israel are going to expand. And that's what's being spoken of here, that this place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. But just the blessing of the Lord. And I think of all the blessings that the Lord has bestowed on me and my family in this ministry. And it's wonderful to see. So when we go through those times where we wonder and, and struggle and doubt, one of the things also that I do is I go back and I think of the blessings of the Lord in my life. And how he has worked and and been faithful and blessed so much. And he wants to continue to bless. And he wants to continue the work. And then as we finish, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift my hand in an oath to the nations and set my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. And they shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they will not be ashamed who wait for me. Listen, you in a place where you're waiting on the Lord, the promise is you will not be ashamed. Lamentations three says that He will be good to those who wait on Him. And then we know from Isaiah chapter 30, He'll be gracious to those who wait on Him. So he's you that are waiting, and that's a hard thing to, to go through, just waiting on the Lord, is that He's going to be gracious to you, He's going to be good to you, and you will not be ashamed. And shall they, pray, be taken from the mighty, verse 24, the captives of the righteous be delivered? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away. And the prey pray, the terrible be delivered, for I contend with him who contends with you. And I will save your children. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh. And they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All flesh shall I know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I believe, speaking of that time when the Lord's going to come back and he's going to defend Jerusalem and he's going to defend Israel, those trying to destroy it, and he will judge those nations. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these two chapters that, that are so rich and full. And, and, Lord, I thank you for helping my voice to, to hold out. And I know that your word will not return void. So I just pray for us who are waiting on you and perhaps going through a season of difficulty or affliction that you're going to see us through. You're going to do a refining work that weren't inscribed on the palm of your hands and you have not forgotten us. May we hold that in our heart. as we keep your commandments that your peace flows like a river like the living waters that we go to and drink of you just drawn close to you walking with you so lord why would we want to trust in ourselves why would we want to trust in the world or why would we want to continue in rebellion in any way so i thank you for these words I pray you bless everyone here. I thank you for those coming out tonight. And I pray that we would take your word hidden in our hearts back with us and tomorrow and the days ahead. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege of studying your word. Pray you bless everyone here right now. I thank you for the blessings in my life and my family. Thank you for the blessings of this church. We give you the glory in every way. Lord, help us not to be discouraged or doubting. Lord, to be drawn close to you and allow you to do that refining work in our lives that you desire to do. Bless everyone as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We have a prayer team to pray with you and for you. If you need any prayer up front, we want you to be prayed for. Hope to see you on Sunday, First John chapter 5. And Travis is going to close this, and then we'll be dismissed. God bless you guys.